this morning, uh, the, the topic under consideration uh, is, is Jesus calling Matthew. Matthew uh, is an interesting character for a couple of reasons in Scripture. Uh, one reason why is because of his occupation that he held before he followed Jesus. He was a tax collector. And there were certain things about tax collectors in those times that uh, certainly were, were corrupt, were not aligned with God's will for his people. But yet we see Jesus calling this person, calling this person to follow him and be a part of his work. Uh, we see the commitment that Matthew gave to Jesus afterwards and that he was a faithful disciple until he passed away and that he also wrote the, the gospel account of Matthew. And so we, we see the change and the power of the gospel and the power of following Jesus and the change that brings to an individual's life. And we don't have really just a, a great amount of detail about Matthew before his time with Jesus or, or even really kind of his time throughout uh, the rest of his life. But what we do know is that he was a faithful man to Jesus and that he followed him and, and uh, wrote that gospel account. So as we think about tax collectors in the time of Christ, I think one thing to consider is that tax collecting in itself is not a sinful occupation. Uh, just my personal opinion, I don't enjoy paying taxes. I don't know if anybody enjoys paying taxes or that you really should. If you should, then I mean, I guess that's great, but I just don't enjoy going through that whole process. I wouldn't enjoy paying someone else to do my taxes for me, and I don't enjoy jumping on TurboTax every year and, and seeing how much uh, the government's already taken from my paycheck, and maybe I'll get a little bit back. And that whole process uh, just, just isn't very fun for me. And so for, for these people, even back then, they had a very similar attitude about paying taxes. They didn't enjoy it at all. They hated it. They didn't like the Romans. If you remember, back in the time of Jesus, the Romans... Uh, had the authority over the Jewish people. Even though the Jews lived in their own land that they had been living in for hundreds of years, nearly 1,500 years at this point. But now these Romans uh, had authority over them and now they were expected to pay taxes to these people even though they were living in their own homes. And so it's important to note that tax collecting is not a sinful occupation, but what it did become was a very corrupt position. Tax collecting, uh, the, the tax collectors themselves did not have uh, really any personal accountability when it came to how they collected taxes. There was a lot of greed within the hearts of those tax collectors. They would always, they would most of the time take a little extra for themselves. They would charge more than what was actually expected from these people. And so the Jews hated the tax collectors, partly for that reason, because it was corrupt but also because they worked for the Romans. And so they were kind of viewed as traitors. Now these people who collected taxes were Jewish people. They were the brothers and sisters, so to speak, of these people that they were coming and collecting taxes from. And so they were kind of viewed as enemies and as traitors because they worked for the Romans. And as I mentioned, they had no personal accountability for how they collected taxes. They were just expected to get the job done. The Romans didn't care how they went about doing their business. And so what you ended up having was a lot of abuse of power, maybe public humiliation, maybe even torture in some extreme cases. 
And so because these people did not have this accountability from the Romans, they went about collecting taxes in their own way. And so that was another part why they were so hated and why the, the Jews could not stand these people because of the work they did. And so we even see kind of this negative picture of the tax collector spoken of in Scripture is what we'll see. And so really the first thing that came to my mind was the mean old sheriff on Robin Hood. The mean old sheriff come to town and everybody just, oh, man, here he comes. So they, they would hide their money and the sheriff, he would dig through everything. He'd find all the secret money. He'd find all the spare money and he took it all. And he even hit the poor guy's foot that was hurt because he had put money in the cast to try to hide it from this guy. But he didn't care. He went ahead and took the money. And so these, these tax collectors were, were just viewed really in the same way. They were despised. When they came through town to do their work, the people uh, did not enjoy it at all. They were ready for those guys to do their business and leave. But we see this negative picture of these tax collectors painted in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17, we read, And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now, this isn't really the, the point of what Jesus is trying to convey uh, here as he's teaching the disciples about working out their conflicts with each other. But what he does mention is he basically compares the heathen and the tax collector as nearly one and the same. You know, if your brother and sister won't hear you and won't hear the church, then treat them like a heathen, like a non-believer, or like a tax collector. Jesus knew how these people were treated. Jesus knew how these people were viewed. And so we see kind of that negative picture. We also read in Luke chapter 18 and verse 11, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. This was a very common mindset, probably not just from the Pharisees, but even from the common people. At least I'm not like a tax collector. At least I'm not one of those guys. Those are bad guys. Those are not godly people. Now, I don't want to spend the rest of my time talking about taxes and tax collectors, but I do think that in the event where Jesus called Matthew and some things that followed, I think we can learn a lot from. We can learn some things from Matthew. I think we can learn even more things from Jesus in this instance. And there are certainly things that we can apply to our lives from this event. So as we read Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, we see the call of Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So as Christ returns, uh, he, he, he's come across the Sea of Galilee back to the town of Capernaum. And he walks by this tax office and he sees Matthew and he calls him to follow him. Now, we will eventually know exactly why Jesus called Matthew. 
but we're not exactly sure why Matthew got up and followed him. But there was something about this call that, that beckons Matthew to follow Jesus. And so eventually, I assume in the same day, uh, Jesus and his disciples and Matthew and these other tax collectors and Matthew's friends, probably, all met at Matthew's home to share this meal. And so uh, I think that speaks a little bit about Matthew right at the beginning. Matthew, in this call, was willing to open up his home to these people, to these strangers. Matthew probably knew how the people viewed him. You know, the disciples were, were just normal folks. They were fishermen. They were common people. There, there wasn't another tax collector that was a disciple that was one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. And so as we see, Matthew was, was willing a little bit to expose his home to these strangers, to these people. Now something that I really didn't consider before uh, thinking about these verses and thinking about this topic was the fact that, you know, what, what, were, what was the mindsets of the people at this supper? Was there any animosity towards one another? Because one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, I believe uh, his name was Simon the Zealot. And what a zealot was, if I'm even saying that word rightly, I don't know. What a zealot was, uh, essentially was, was a Jewish person who believed in the rebellion and the overthrow of the Roman government. They despised the Romans. They hated the Romans. They wanted to physically overthrow them from having rule over them. And then this tax collector is a person who worked for the Romans. Life probably wasn't all too bad because of the Romans. They were probably making a really good living. As Matthew had his own home and, and was able to fit all these people in his home. But we don't know the mindset of the disciples at this time. But we do know the mindset of the Pharisees. And so we get a little bit of insight to the heart of the Pharisees. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 30. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples. So they came to the disciples complaining, why, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is your teacher being even associating himself with these people? It's just, it's a waste of time. These are bad people. These are evil people. Why is he doing this? And of course, Jesus gives his response. And really after that, this, this, there's not much left in this event. They kind of go on and Jesus continues his work and his ministry. And so really, this section of Scripture is, is about the most detailed uh, portion of Scripture we have about Matthew himself. But as I mentioned, I do think there are some things we can learn from Matthew and from Jesus in this instance. And there's certainly things that we can apply and ask ourselves uh, what we can do better. What did this mean for Matthew? In Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, we read, When Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick... I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I think for one thing that Matthew would probably be giving up his occupation. He'd probably give up his livelihood. But ultimately that led to a life of repentance. And that led to this life of change. You know, Matthew wouldn't have to be defined by his work any longer. He wouldn't have to be defined as just another, another tax collector. He wouldn't have to be despised by the people. He now had a new life, a new purpose. Scripture isn't specific to the note whether or not he was an honest publican, 
which is just another term for tax collector. We don't know if, if he was an honest tax collector or not, but we do know that Matthew was a sinner, that Matthew had sin in his life, and that Matthew needed change. And so ultimately, that's what this call meant, was that he could leave those things behind. He could have a life of change. He now had a new commitment in life. He wasn't committed to the Romans any longer. He was now committed to Jesus. And there was this new purpose, as we mentioned, a new purpose of life. And we see that in the fact that Matthew wrote a very, very detailed account of Jesus' life. We see the humility from Matthew in those words. He doesn't write very much about himself at all. He doesn't write very much about his own story. In fact, he refers to himself as Matthew, the tax collector. And now in Mark and Luke, they refer to Matthew as Levi. And they don't say Levi, the tax collector. They just say Levi. Levi, uh, I assume, was, was the more honorable name for Matthew to carry, or, or for, for, to carry for Matthew. But we see that Matthew, in, in changing his life, and, and he had the humility within himself that he, he knew not to carry, he knew not to, not to have a mindset that he was greater than anyone else because he had seen how himself, how he had been treated for a majority of his life and he saw how the Pharisees carried themselves and he didn't want to carry himself in that way. So for Matthew, this call meant everything. For Matthew, this was everything to him, a new life, a new commitment, and a new purpose. So what did this mean for Jesus? For Jesus, it meant a couple things. For one thing, it opened the door for some potential internal conflict. As we mentioned, the zealots and what they wanted to do, and then we have the tax collector, the Roman employee. There could have been some internal conflict within the 12 apostles and the close followers of Jesus. But of course, as we continue to read about the life of Jesus and his ministry, we don't see that to be an issue anywhere. That does not appear to ever be an issue. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles to go preach the kingdom. That the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we never see this come up. That also shows the power of the gospel and the fact that people have their opinions. People have their opinions of how things should be run. People have their opinions of Republican or Democrat. But that can all be left at the door when it comes to the kingdom of heaven. That can be left at the door when it comes to preaching the gospel of Christ. Matthew did not have to be defined by being a tax collector. Simon didn't have to be defined by being a zealot. They could be defined as workers for the kingdom of God. And that's what's the most important. It also opened the door for some public scrutiny and and perhaps giving his enemies this false belief and this false idea that Jesus was revealing his true identity as a sinner. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to have sin. And so the Pharisees and the scribes and the other Jewish leadership, they really held on to this for the rest of Jesus' life. They wanted something to point at, to say, well, see, this man has sin. He is a sinner. He's no different. He is not the Messiah. But we really see the reason why Jesus called Matthew, right? It was not to partake 
in any of those sins. In Matthew 9 and verse 11, as, as we read earlier, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They, had, they thought that they had some ground to accuse Christ immediately. Say, look, he is a sinner. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 19, Jesus says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. These people, these Pharisees, these scribes, wanted Jesus to be that sinner. It would debunk the fact that he was the Messiah. It would debunk the fact that he was God in the flesh. But ultimately, what this meant for Christ, what this event meant for Christ, was that he was able to further prove his mission. It didn't prove that he was a sinner. It didn't prove that he was not the Son of God. But we read in Matthew chapter uh, 9 and verse 13, at the end of verse 13, we see that Jesus further proved his mission. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know what Jesus saw in these tax collectors and these sinners? He saw souls that needed to be saved. He saw souls that needed to hear this message. And he saw what many people failed to see in others. He saw what the Pharisees failed to see in Matthew was a soul that was worth saving. These people were sick spiritually and needed that change. Matthew needed that change. Jesus didn't eat and visit with these people to partake in their sins, but to save them from their sins. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, Paul writes, This is a faithful and this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul knew the power of the gospel. Paul knew the power of the grace of God because it brought great change within his life. Paul was no longer defined as the person that persecuted the early church. He was now defined as a person who helped establish the church, a person who was a worker for the Lord. For Paul, the gospel was everything. For Matthew, this gospel was everything. And we see the power of the gospel in this event where Jesus called a tax collector, a man despised by others, to be a follower and a worker for his kingdom. Now what does this mean for us exactly? I think one thing that we can take from this for sure is the humility over pride concept that we really see throughout all scripture. Humility over pride. In Luke chapter 18, as we uh, consider the prayer of the Pharisee and the prayer of the tax collector, Jesus says also, uh, he spoke th this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others, being the Pharisees. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We see in the Pharisees a heart that trusted within themselves that despised others, that despised the tax collectors. We see in their prayer this prayer of self-righteousness. I thank you I'm not like other men, God. As Even as this tax collector over here, 
Do we know if the, the Pharisee realized that the tax collector himself was praying to God? We don't really know. But you know, the Pharisees had a lot of pride within themselves. They made their prayers public. They made their sacrifices public so that everyone could see and think, wow, those are good people. Those are righteous men. But we really see the opposite. And that the pride of the Pharisee brings them down. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The Pharisees were humbled time and time again from the teachings of Jesus. And we see the tax collector standing afar off, alone, with a heavy heart, a heart of conviction, just begging God to be merciful to him. I'm sure we've all had those prayers from time to time. The conviction is heavy in our hearts, and we can't so much as even look up and lift our eyes. But there's other times in my life where I'm a lot like the Pharisee, where I start to, to try to justify myself, justify my sin. And I start to think, well, at least I'm not doing that, right? At least I'm not like this person. It could be worse. Yeah, it always could be worse. But the fact is, is that we have no self-righteousness to stand on our own. We can't live a life in, in where our pride gets to us. Because, yes, we are children of God. Yes, we are washed in the blood of Jesus. But that doesn't make us greater or better than other people. And we have to remember to be humble, to remember whose we are, remember who got us there, remember who got us to this point. It wasn't ourselves, it was God, and God sending His Son to sacrifice Himself for us. Do you remember your position before Christ, or do you trust in your own self-righteousness like the Pharisee? This is a very interesting reading in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 65. We read, I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, according to their own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend the night in the tombs, who eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. We see here in Isaiah this, this, this prophetic language about God essentially, eventually reaching out to these people. These people who were not called by my name being the Gentiles. In verse 2, we, we see the picture of how hard God worked all those years to save the Jews over and over again. God had stretched forth his hand all day long to a rebellious people. The Jews, over time, rebelled against God time and time and time again. They walked in their way that was not good according to their own thoughts. They provoked God to anger time and time again. And then we see in verse 5, you say, Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you, speaking about the Jews, speaking to the Gentiles. I am holier than you. But yet we see the life that the Jews lived. The Jews did not walk according to God. But yet they viewed themselves as great and better than the people surrounding them. And of course, this is provoking to God. This is a fire that burns all the day. It's smoke in God's nostrils. 
we see what this mindset does. This mindset is poisoning. Because we begin to justify what we do. And then we, we still take time to look at others and say, well, I'm not that person. This reflected not just the Jews of that time, but it really reflected the Pharisees as well. And we can't allow that to reflect us today. Now, how do we view ourselves compared to others? In Luke chapter 11, in verse 42 and 43, we read, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done, without leaving the others undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Once again, we, we see the humility over pride concept in verse 43 as the Pharisees loved the best seats. They loved the place of honor. And you even saw that carry over a little in the early church in, in the book of James in chapter 2. The people are specifically addressed because they are honoring the rich against honoring the poor. Especially when, when visitors would come and they were a wealthy visitor they, they would give them the best seat. They would treat them well, and the poor would come, and they wouldn't treat them well. They wouldn't treat them the same. There was partiality within that congregation. There, were certainly, there was certainly partiality in the hearts of the Pharisees. And they passed over the love of God. They did that when they were sitting in the house with Matthew and Jesus. Because they saw Matthew, and they saw his friends, these other tax collectors and sinners. And they said... He is wasting his time. He is with these sinful people. Do we do the same thing? Do we pass by justice and the love of God to those that we're around? It's important that we view people as Jesus viewed people. A soul that's worth saving. Because someone did that for you at some point in your life. Maybe it was your parents. A lot of us were very fortunate and very blessed to have parents who saw the value of our souls and taught us about the gospel of Jesus. There are a lot of parents out there who don't do that, and that's sad. But how sad is it that we pass by people on a nearly daily basis, and do we view people that way? Do we view people as a soul that's worth saving, that's worth trying, that's worth giving an effort for? We all know the, the story of Dave Dukes, right, and his family traveling out here and and that farmer teaching him about the gospel. You know, that farmer saw in Dave and his family valuable souls that needed saving. And we felt the effect of that moment. We felt the effect of that gospel being preached. And that can be done for someone else. Someone else might be able to start their family history in the kingdom today. And that can have a great effect for generations. We see the effect that it had with Matthew Matthew wrote a gospel account that we have today, that we read and learn about Jesus more and more every day right now. That gospel has lasted for 2,000 years. And it was partly because of Jesus calling Matthew out of his sinful ways to follow him. And the same can be done for others today. Do we see in people the valuable soul? Do we view people as Jesus did. Very important to consider. For the furtherance of the kingdom to continue, we have to view people as Jesus viewed people. 
You know, people are out there who want to please God. There are people out there who want to turn from their sin, and they're just misled sometimes. Sometimes they don't have all the information that they need. Do we view people in this way? Do, you, do we view people as, as people who potentially want to change, who maybe not be happy living a sinful lifestyle? Because a life of sin is a hard and difficult life many times. Where is your heart in reaching out to the lost? Do you view people and their valuable soul as the furtherance of the kingdom? That the kingdom of God may continue to grow? Or do you view yourself as greater than those around you because of their sin? And do you remember where you were before you met Jesus? Jesus has shown us great mercy. God has shown us great love. And it's because of that we even have a chance of salvation. And it's because of the power of the gospel that we have that great change. And it's because of the power of the gospel that men like Matthew can have a great effect on us today. Because of his commitment to God, there are others out there who may live a life of great commitment to God if we reach out and teach them the gospel. We have to view people as Jesus did. That's all we have for the lesson this morning. I hope that this study has been beneficial to you as it has been to me. And thinking about these things and thinking about how I view people, I always fall my, find myself falling well short of how I should view people. And that I don't often view people as, I, as Jesus views them. And we certainly can all use improvement in that. We can use each other's strength and, and prayers in that. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.